That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, it's coming up, Church Oween Sunday, mm. October 30th. You're going to preach on the evils of candy and <laughs> the evils of costumes. And pumpkins. That's kind of Calvary mm. St. George's energy. No, no, no. I'll encourage everybody. I, I think you should celebrate Halloween any day over a harvest festival. Uh, let me just tell you, nothing conveys, uh, like nothing just says Wiccan like a harvest festival. <laughs> so stick with Seriously, that's like actually what the pagans called them. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, in Halloween, the idea was, is you know... Um, all Hallows Eve, the evening before All Saints right. Day. So the point was is that my son actually did a little paper on it. He's at a, a great little school and he wrote about how Christians should really embrace Halloween. But the idea was is that it was, you know, a reflection on the reality of death the night before. It wasn't some sort of Sam Hain thing that was baptized by Christians. It was a reflection on death and judgment and the devil. And uh, actually poor people would roam the towns, the, the tradition from like... Um, parts of like Austria and Italy was is that people would roam around and then they would costume themselves. They were poor, they would costume themselves so you wouldn't know. And they would go in, in exchange for a blessing, they would receive um, beer or bread and uh, to help kind of get them ready for the, um, the end of the fall, early winter. And um, so there's a lot of roots with Halloween. And then you have the next day, All Saints Day, where you celebrate uh, the triumph of the resurrection. So, um, so, and this is why you're really increasing your beer and bread consumption personally. Uh, is to winter's observe. coming, you know, and uh, Putin may <laughs> cut off pack the, on a few pounds. Putin may cut off the pipes. So, <laughs> oh wait, right. I don't live in Germany. Got <laughs> to insulate the natural um, way, but, um, the way God intended. That's right. And no Patagonia puffer jacket. I'm gonna put. So, on but I pounds. think, uh, yeah, Halloween's a beautiful thing, and do it. There's nothing wrong with uh, you know. Th- getting your kid dressed up like a little ghost or whatever. It's cute. And so, um, but is the devil cute, Jake? I don't know. They know. No, he's not. You know, I will say, and I think we've probably had this little rant on Same Old Song every year oh, that we've done we it. Have. I prob- we'll get to the scriptures, people. Yeah. But Somebody the, said uh, more rant. Halloween, mm-hmm. yeah, more rant and cowbell. The uh, Halloween who Christians who eschew it, who reject it, you're missing out in the one layup opportunity of the year to actually meet your neighbors. Mm. And uh, mm. if you if you refuse to participate, and you know if it's important to you, don't do it. But if you can, you can actually. People will open their doors. They'll be nice to you. They'll say hello. Your neighbors will come out of their houses, which they never do, and you can actually meet them. Tell and, them to uh, tune into you know, same old song. That's right. There's something very gospelly about knocking on the door, looking like a weirdo, and then giving you candy. 
uh, and it's the opposite of Christmas where you have to be perfect and on your best mm. behavior for Santa to give you presents. So I always felt like Halloween was more uh, gospel than Christmas, at least as it's secularly celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Nobody gets coal mm. at Halloween. Everybody gets candy. Everybody gets a Reese's peanut butter cup. But uh, we digress, and uh, um, today we're uh, taking a look at the readings for uh, the upcoming week, and we have uh, following um, track two, we have Isaiah, verses 1, 10 through 18, and then we jump into 2 Thessalonians, 1 through 4 and 11 through 12, and then uh, Luke 19, 1 through 10, um, everybody's favorite tax collector. So, um, little Zacchaeus, that wee little man from Jericho. And a wee little man was he. So, um, yeah, man. So, Isaiah, uh, the first chapter. Uh, some would call yeah. this the gospel according to Isaiah, but uh, what would you say about this, Aaron, if you were preaching on it? Or what, do you, what would you say is the nugget? I'd say this is a lot. It's kind of a long passage that sounds um, harsh but it is God's strong medicine to wake you up to what really matters. So these are people that are being accused not because they are not religious enough, but they are too religious. As Jake has said many a time on this podcast, the Luther quote, Martin Luther, that, um, what do you say, piety is the devil's whore That's or right. something? That's right. Hey, what a Halloween so like, theme. <laughs> that's right. So uh, these are people who are just bringing all kinds of sacrifices, uh, bulls, lambs, goats, capybaras, dolphins, mm-hmm. whatever creatures they can find. And he says it's futile. Incense is an abomination, the calling of convocation, your new moons and appointed festivals. And again, remember that many of these things, these festivals, these sacrifices, this is the system that God set up in Leviticus. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is these things, he, and it's this beautiful, uh, poignant word from God, they are a burden to me. I'm weary of them because um, you say you love me and you offer me these things, but he says your hands are full of blood, meaning the structures of your society are so unjust and so skewed to favor the rich over the poor and to benefit those who have over those who have not. And um, and also, there's they're probably also sacrificing to pagan deities at the same time. So there's all these different things going on. And basically, it's, it's um, sort of calling out the hypocrisy. Uh, and so that's why it, this is a challenging passage to preach, although you can say that there is, it's not a new thing that people have double lives. There's a doubleness to everybody. This is something you know, Dave Zoll talks about in Low Anthropology, that the doubleness of human nature, and which St. Paul talks about. You know, the, mm. I want to do good, but I don't. So here they are, outwardly religiously observant, but also they got a lot of other stuff going on mm. in their lives that doesn't, doesn't mesh with that. And so... He says, amazingly, uh, what they should do, which is to seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead the widow, things that now get labeled social justice but are just deeply, deeply important to the heart of God, um, that everybody receive just treatment in the law, that people no longer be oppressed, uh, that people who are vulnerable like orphans and widows get taken care of. uh, as opposed to t- being told to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And, uh, and, and by the way, and this is where the gospel comes in at verse 18. So there's been the law, there's been the, the, the diagnosis of the problem, the prescription, get right, 
But it seems there's also a realization that people probably aren't able to get right on their own because at the end, God says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So God will ultimately wash and make clean. And this is, of course, looking to to Jesus Christ. Mm. That's what I would say. Yeah, I mean... Did your dog just bark in the background? Yeah, something like that. But anyway, um, some dog outside. Uh, You're absolutely right. I think that uh, one of the things that this this particular text highlights is the... um, the uh, distinction from the outside in versus the inside out. A lot of people think that, you know, just because we do certain things that somehow we're good people. You know, uh, yeah, the outs- what I do defines me. And uh, this particular passage flies right into the face of that. Uh, this is why we have the collect of purity. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known. And from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts, you know, by the inspiration. Because it's what's—it's about the inside that matters uh, to God. And so, and what we each need is a complete and total um, inside transformation. And never forget Isaiah. The way Isaiah is written is almost like a court document. You have the prosecution Mm -hmm. and the defense. And God is going to put Israel on trial, and then he's going to, um, you know, later on with the suffering servant, say how he's going to stand in Israel's place. But I love this part, you know, because they're like, look, we're doing all of these things. We've been doing all these things. And so, and this is the beginning of the case. Come now, let us argue it out. You know, and uh, your very words, ultimately, um, as far as your own self-justification, will ultimately condemn you. And so he says, come now, let us argue it out. Let's, let's really see where the heart's at. Let's put the heart on the table and examine it. And, um, and so, and what that will reveal is though your sins are like, are like scarlet. I mean, you know, that we've joked around here on the show about that, the God-shaped hole in our hearts, you know, and, and how the only thing that our hearts are full of is cholesterol and sin. And, uh, you know, the, the sins are scarlet, but here's the good news. They shall be like snow. Uh, and uh, they shall become like wool. And why, you're, as you said, this ultimately points uh, to the one who has stood in our place and uh, loved God perfectly from the inside out, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yeah, yeah and this reminds me a little bit too, uh, an Old Testament version of the Sermon on the Mount, or maybe the Sermon on the Mount is kind of a New Testament version of this idea, that because Jesus talks to people who think that they are okay because they're outwardly religiously observant. You know, he says, you've heard it said... Yeah don't commit adultery. And they're all like, yeah, and we're not committing adultery. We're great. And he says, well, I tell you, look at what your heart is doing. And here, these are people who are outwardly very religiously observant. And he says, actually, no, you're participating in evil through your political and economic uh, corruption. And um, and it, the other interesting thing, and I don't know if this is the point of the sermon, but it's definitely... He doesn't list sins that we often think of as sins. Like the things that you are really feeling guilty about these days are probably not the ones that he lists. And it's just, again, it's interesting how there's, you know, we often focus on individual sins, which are important and real and need to be dealt with. But this is, these are things that you do kind of corporately um, as a society. Their society corporately is not defending the orphan or pleading for the widow. Society corporately is oppressing people, not rescuing the oppressed. Mm. They're actually oppressing people. They're, um, ju- they're, you know, the people in power take bribes and all that. So this is these are the kinds of things. He, he doesn't say, like, you know, 
you've been listening to too much Motley Crue or something like that. He's like, there's some societal there's ills. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, people. All right, turning to Second Thessalonians, Paul's uh, letter to the church in Thessalonica. This is one of the earliest documents in the New Testament, one of the first letters Paul wrote to a church that he started in this, uh, in this uh, Gentile Greek city. And it's written by, this is the beginning of it, and it's written by three people, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, writing to these, uh, these new Christians. And as always, he begins with the standard grace and peace opening, and he talks about how great they are, the thanks that he's giving to God because of them, they're growing in their faith. Uh, and uh, he then acknowledges the reality, and if I were going to preach this, I would probably talk somewhere around this, uh, because it is where people are living. The fact that, yes, you are in Christ, yes, you have this growing faith, yes, you're a blessing, but also you have persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. So, and I would probably want to do that just as a way of letting my people in the congregation know that they're normal. Like, you know, so many Christians feel like there's a stigma because they're struggling Mm. on something, but no, actually, you're normal. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I love how St. Paul opens up grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is ultimately what makes all of this possible, genuinely from the inside out, is that it's not them doing something for God and kind of like gritting their teeth and making it through, but it begins with this understanding that um, uh, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are on our side. You know what I mean? They have given us grace and they've given us peace. And uh, this is what ultimately... uh, uh, creates a faith that grows abundantly and inspires love for one another um, increasingly. Uh, This is, I think, one time, oftentimes a big misunderstanding in the church is that we think that, uh, and you know, Paul taught us this, Paul's all, that uh, things, if they begin horizontally, can make their way up vertically. If you begin with the person, you know, make everything accessible, then it, um, and then it naturally can go, uh, go up towards God, and that's not the case at all. Uh, things begin with God, and things begin with grace and peace from God our Father, mm-hmm. and then it flows out to everyone else. And so um, that grace and peace uh, flows out through us to everyone else for the sake of our neighbor, and uh, which enables us to love, enables us to f- um, to uh, believe and uh, be steadfast, even in the midst of persecutions and afflictions that we all are enduring. Yeah, and there's the reminder here, which is something, a thought that appears in a lot of Paul's writing, where he says here in verse 11 that, you know, we're praying that God will make you worthy of his call mm. and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work yeah. of faith. It sort of sounds like that, um, you know, uh, God will bring to completion the good work that he has begun in you, that kind of language. And... Um, this is just such a, a balm to people that are feeling like they have to work hard to make God happy because here it says that God is the one that will make you worthy yeah. of his call. He has called you. He's it's working beautiful. in you. He will bring this about. He will sanctify you. He will fulfill your good resolve and your works of faith. And um, he's the one that does the work. Uh, so that's, uh, and that's I think, a comfort to people. Yeah, I like it. It is to me. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, Well, then you come to Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 10, and uh, this is the famous story that everybody learned and loved in Sunday school, uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, the tax collector, uh, and uh, basically the setting here is that, um, you know, the crowds, Jesus is down in Jericho, he's making his way on up to Jerusalem, and uh, 
He's there, and um, this guy, Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, uh, basically um, uh, longs to see Jesus, and uh, and Jesus sees him and is like, hey man, I'm having dinner at your house. And um, uh, a life is transformed. What would you want to say about this, uh, Aaron? I cannot read this passage anymore without thinking of the time that I heard a pastor uh, completely miss the mark with this, and it makes me worried that there are other people doing it. And I talk about this a lot at St. Albans Waco, so if you're a St. Albans member, you've heard me say this, but we tend to always make the scriptures about us. We're always like, back to me, back to me, back to me, what do I do? And so we find the one good thing that Zacchaeus did in here, if there's anything, which is he climbed a tree, and we turn that into some sort of metaphor. Like, the point of this passage is that we need to climb trees, metaphorically. We need to look for Jesus. We need to to um, be on the lookout for him. And 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 the whole passage is really about Jesus's initiative. Mm. Um, Jesus is the one that passes through Jericho. Zacchaeus just wants to see the freak show. That's exactly by. right. Um, and he's really short. He's Danny DeVito in an Armani suit, so he has to climb up a tree. Um, there's not... <laughs> There, there's nothing in the passage that says like Zacchaeus was spiritually hungry. Now, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but it's certainly not there in the text. What we do see is that Jesus chooses to enter Jericho. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he takes the initiative to say, come down, and I'm going to stay at your house today. Zacchaeus says, Jack, squat mm. to this point. And the thing that I always say about this um, uh is that this is this is a story actually we talk about in our St. Albans new members class like this to, as like one of the key illustrations of the gospel because it is the story of forgiveness preceding repentance mm. in every church it seems like these days it's like repent and God will forgive and I get why they're saying that and I know the proof texts are talking to and I understand that however what you see in this passage is that there is zero repentance until after Jesus forgives him because to say I'm going to come down and stay at your house I'm going to eat with you I'm going to eat with a sinner is essentially opening the the opening the arms of love to Zacchaeus it's it's a it's a movement of forgiveness towards him before he's repented. And the result here is that he repents. Real uh, transformation. So for, when, you, when you're afraid of judgment, you hide. When you know that you have been forgiven, then you can be honest, then you can begin to repent and, and talk about what's actually going on. And so um, it's a beautiful thing. And you know, I think if we want to find ourselves in the story, we typically are not the Zacchaeuses. We're typically the people in verse seven, the, the Pharisees that grumble at Jesus for going to spend time with the sinner. We hate people getting grace. We hate people getting away with things. We hate when people don't get you know the full weight of the law down on them. We, we only like grace when it comes to us. But the good news is it actually does come to us, and it's what enables us to to forgive. Mm. And you get this great name of Jesus, the one who came to seek and save the lost. And it comes in verse 10 of this passage. And um, and in some level, we all are, mm. more or less, at different times in our lives. So that's that's what I would say about Zacchaeus up there in that sycamore tree. Yeah. In Jericho. I mean, that's really good. I mean, I, I yeah, and uh, Jesus continues to come to our houses today. You know, he continues to come to our house by the power of the Holy Spirit. He continues to... Um, come and be uh, a guest amongst sinners and uh, really and I mean and it is this amazing grace that Jesus would enter into Zacchaeus's house that creates faith within him 
You know, uh, mm-hmm. that's what people don't. So that's what a lot of people miss, too, is, is that they turn this into like some sort of generosity passage. But the truth is, is that it's the faith that's come. It's the grace and the peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that then prompts him and says, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I'm going to give to the poor. If I defrauded anything, I will pay it back four times. And here's the thing. Today, salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. And uh, what Mm. makes us sons of Abraham? Uh, Faith in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It converts from the inside out, not the outside in. You know, and so and what what Jesus has recognized is that this desire to be reconciled with his neighbor, you know, um, growing abundantly and uh, and uh, love of everyone, um, you know, increasing and uh, is 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 the result of Jesus being present in the faith that's been created in his heart. And so and why? Uh, Well, because Jesus has not come to call the worthy. Uh, Jesus has not come to call those who, uh, you know, um, who think they got it together. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. And uh, you and I and um, everyone listening uh, are were lost, and uh, now we've been found. And I, I also, uh, there's a couple other te- footnotes I want to add to this. Um, one is you can emphasize the fact that Zacchaeus, like it will be lost on most modern listeners why he's such a bad guy. Yeah. Like all it says is a chief tax collector and he's rich. Uh, and in those few little words there, what Lucas told us is this guy is a traitor. He is self-involved. He's vicious. And he is deeply unethical. Yeah. And so it is very cool in... Um, uh, so, yeah, to, to be a tax collector means you work for the Romans against the Jews. Mm-hmm. You work for uh, Darth Vader against Luke and Leia. You work for the Nazis against the Austrian people. Yeah, that's like, exactly, you are, work, but that's exactly what he is. You sold out your own people. He would have a yellow yeah. star on. That's who he yes. was. He, he's Jewish, but he's working for the Romans who kill Jewish people indiscriminately mm-hmm. and he's working for the romans to collect taxes and because he's sold out to the state and he can do that now he uses them to do what tax collectors did in those days which was to pocket a little bit for themselves to say hey look at these two roman soldiers behind me as they collect your taxes wouldn't it be a shame if something were to happen to your farm and they would have to give a little extra money so it says like not only is he a tax collector he's the chief so what does one, that mean so that he's done so well he's got other he's like tax collectors advanced. under him he's gotten promoted yeah and he's like at the top of the ponzi yeah, he's scheme terrible. getting all the and he's rich, so that that's Luke's way of saying he was successful at being evil. He's like, he's an evil CEO, he's a, he's a junk bond trader, he's a Ponzi scheme guy. And you have to really get that because, one, otherwise we think it's a story about a cute short guy who climbs a tree. Like, he really, he's not a cute sinner. He's not like a, a, a lovable rogue like Captain Jack Sparrow. Like, he's actually somebody who we would hate. He's a Bernie Madoff. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, it's, it's very cool these days to hate rich people. And so he is that. And it's, what's interesting to me is, and this, this, you know, if you want an e- angry email preachers on Monday, talk about how, you know, depending on what kind of church you're in, there's a lot of churches where there are Christian people who are very down on rich people. And there are a lot of challenging things for rich people in the Bible. We just read some of that in Isaiah. But Jesus' response to Zacchaeus is zero lecture. There is no vague social media post about how he met a horrible rich guy on the way to Jericho. Um, 
Jesus does not shame Zacchaeus. He doesn't wag a finger at Zacchaeus. He instead shows him grace, which reveals a couple things. One, Zacchaeus already knows what he's doing is wrong. And two, the thing that unlocks the repentance is getting loved, getting forgiven. When he knows he's getting off scot-free, that's when he's able to actually repent. And it's not how the world, like the world would say, if there's somebody like Zacchaeus, there's some rich, terrible person like Jeff Bezos, who we love to hate or whatever. Mm -hmm. The only way we'll trust that person is if he gives it all away and then we'll think about maybe forgiving Mm. him. Like that's the way forgiveness works these days. You have to see the person say sorry enough and mean it enough and then maybe you'll forgive him. Jesus doesn't do that. He forgives first and then the repentance follows, which I don't like. I want to see people, you know, get trashed in the media and in, you know, I want to see them get what they Mm. deserve. Um, I don't want me to get what I deserve, but I want other people to get what they deserve. But Jesus, thankfully, is gracious to all. So those are some things that make the story, I think, pop a little bit more. Turn up the turn up the colors on it. So just uh, uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it, preachers and listeners. Mm. That's all I got, Jake. Anything you want to correct, add, or uh, um, you know, otherwise smooth over? No, I'll definitely let it slide. I think it was good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the forgiveness you've shown me. Well, that'll do it for the Sunday closest to Halloween, also known as um, uh, the 21st Sunday after Pentecost Mm. of year C, proper 26. Until next week, uh, have a good Thanksgiving or Halloween. Eat some some Reese's peanut butter cups and throw away all those uh, Tootsie Tootsie Rolls. Mm. Those are the worst. Are they really bad? I don't like them. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll. You 